0: All right. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Kings and Priests. I'm here with Pratush Bodiga. What's up, man? Did I say that right?
1: Yeah, you did. How's it okay. going? Okay.
0: Good, man. Thank you for being on today.
1: Yeah, excited to be here.
0: And uh, so you're in San Francisco. And what company do you work for? What's like your... Yeah, just give work, us a quick what you're up to now.
1: Sure. Yeah. I'm an investor at Sousa Ventures. So Sousa is a early stage venture fund. We uh, also have a small group we not small, but we have a growth <laughs> practice as well. Um, so we just, yeah, looking to invest in great companies that are building the future.
0: That's awesome. Um, so, dude, I came across you on Twitter. Um, I think it was <laughs> late last year because you wrote yeah. a piece on your substack called, called Cards, Crypto, and Christ, yeah. where you tell your story of, and this is your words, how you torched your net worth by 90% two times. It's the story yep. of how I chased after money, status and glory and the story of how I finally found freedom and redemption in Jesus. Um yep. and man, I like came across this, I read it and was like so floored to have read it and <laughs> just immediately started stalking you on Twitter. Um but you you start the piece off with uh you kind of come out of the gate swinging. You you say yeah. I was like this first line was so good. You said I used to think Christians were stupid. Um yeah. which is Awesome because you know what we're trying to do um, with what we're building here is help people think better about their faith. Um, Yeah, so I guess my first question is like, why do you think because it wasn't just you that thought Christians were stupid? I think a lot of people (laughs) think that. So, why do you think that is?
1: I think it's a lot of it is probably media portrayal, Um, just sort of Mm -hmm. like you know, the generic impression of Christians is kind of what you see on tv or what you you know see in popular media and i think that sort of like lends itself to like not necessarily uh, a good impression sometimes um i think also probably and this is something i've been thinking about is that i think the last maybe 40 50 years is like to us because we've just grown up in it and lived in it it feels like very normal but probably, like, most of the very wealthy financial, like, very wealthy businessmen, entrepreneurs, or academics, like, people that, you know, everyone respects as, like, intellectual or have not been Christian, so everyone sort of, like, has this default impression that, you know, you don't see Elon Musk being Christian, you don't see Jeff Bezos being a Christian, so you're just so mm-hmm. like, oh, well, Christians don't do this, Christians don't do that, but then if you, like, actually step outside, let's say, the last 50 years, like, if you go back and start studying history a little bit, even in America, it's like, well, yeah, Christians were the leading entrepreneurs and businessmen mm-hmm. and leaders and intellectual thinkers of their day. It's just, you know, Harvard was founded as like, a, you know, a place to teach ministry and, you mm-hmm. know, or not maybe not to teach ministry, but to teach yeah. like young Christian men how to yep. be, you know, great uh, leaders. Uh, John Rock, John D. Rockefeller was a Christian who like served in his church every Sunday, you know, like all these things is like very, very common. But I think mm-hmm. over the last 40, 50 years it, that the people, Christians who, have kind of not been in the marketplace as much. And I think that, or yeah. either intellectually and financially. And I think that has been kind of an issue in terms of maybe the popular perception of Christians. So.
0: Yeah. Yeah. There's, I think it's um JP Moreland, I think is who wrote the book. Uh, it's called love God with all your mind. And it's mm-hmm. really do, does highlight. Yeah. Especially in the last 50, 60 years, how um we have, Christians have removed themselves from the intellectual cultural conversation. Um, and so it has given way to these caricatures of what people see as, as Christians now. And I think that really does like turn a lot of people off. I want to get to that in a second because, um, man, your story of finding Christ is so cool, but I got to ask you about poker first, um, if that's okay. So the reason I got to ask you about poker is because I, I paid my way. Well, I played poker as I was paying my way through Bible college, um sure. so I, I uh, graduated high school in 2004, watched rounders just like every other poker yeah. you know kid, and started playing in a home game. I grew up in Dallas, Texas, and at the time there yeah. was just tons of poker rooms and um when I was 18, I went and was playing 1-2 No Limit Hold'em at this like, you know, underground poker room in some strip mall somewhere and ended up getting quad queens and beating quad jacks, which won me the bad beat jackpot for the night. Nice. So my my nice. $100 buy-in playing 1-2 No Limit Hold'em turned into um, like $15,000 cash, which I then uh, pretty much proceeded to lose all of um, sure. <laughs> the, the summer after. <laughs> So I don't know, you know, I've, I've played a lot of poker, very like minimal stakes, but what yeah. like got you into, what got you into poker? Um, I don't know, maybe just tell us like a brief story about that. Cause you like, you've, you've, you've played professional poker professionally for many, many years, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think I've always just been like extremely obsessed with competition and being competitive. So when I was a kid, I was doing spelling bees and geography bees and, you know, I think I did well in those, and kind of when I got to college or afterwards, I was kind of looking for something new that I could kind of like that would deal like uh, allow me to like express those competitive juices. You know, like when I after mm-hmm. I won the spelling bee and after I won the geography it was like or geography competition, it was sort of like okay, what's next? And just to getting good grades and going to college wasn't really enough there. Um, and so poker was always like, a, is a game that was like really fun to play. And I mean, I definitely was playing it more casually in the beginning, but just as I got better and better, I started, you know, taking it a lot more seriously. And that's where it just kind of led, went from there. I don't think there was like any specific moment where I was like, oh, this is like, this is it for me. It was just sort of like a gradual, mm-hmm. like my junior year of college where I just really... Started playing a lot. It was sort of like that competitive fire was being finally like stoked again after like five six years where you know just getting into college and stuff like
0: that wasn't as interesting. Yeah. So did you start playing live, live games or did you start playing online?
1: I started playing online, so I, I was okay. just playing like you know five dollar tournaments online. Those like two dollar mm-hmm. sit and goes and stuff like that on PokerStars. Mm-hmm. This was like right before poker got banned actually in the
0: United States. Okay. So it was yeah
1: yeah it was like 2010 2011
0: Okay. Do you play anymore? or have you, have you not have you hung, really. up, the, hung I mean, up the hat yeah
1: most mostly hung it up I mean this is maybe it's like a psychological thing but I think it's almost like if I just stayed playing casually I think I would have still I probably would play more than I do now like it'd be more fun but I think in a way having reached or played with like the best players in the world at one point it's like it's almost like hard to play and know that you're not good anymore or that you're like kind of like, you're, you're pretty rusty. Not that like, I mean, I think playing versus like amateurs or whatnot, I'd be fine. But I think, you know, when you reach to like the highest levels of the game and then knowing you're not as sharp and making mistakes and like stuff like that would be like very frustrating. So, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I play for fun with friends occasionally, but I think like going out to like a world poker tour event or something like and getting owned by some like kid who's been studying PO solver for the last like five years would be like extremely tilting <laughs> just cause yeah, like, right. <laughs> I'd be like, Oh man, I used to be able to like compete with these guys and now I yeah. don't anymore. So I think that's tough. <laughs> it's like, would it's like do- being an athlete or something, you know, like if yeah. it's like, if you were once, like, playing for they had and play, competing for the NBA Finals and the MVPs, and then, like, some kids just, like, crossing you up and, like, leaving out the floor. It, like, sucks. <laughs> so, yeah, I don't know. You right. kind of, like, find new interests to, like, go out. Yeah.
0: Did you ever, like, I mean, so you played a lot of tournaments. Were you primarily a tournament player? Or did you do, yeah?
1: Yeah, I mostly played tournaments. Um, okay. Again, it's just kind of, like, it was The I like the, the fact that there's a winner at the end, you know? Um, mm-hmm. And... I mean, I think I'm trying to be better about that, where it's not just about you know winning and the <laughs> the goal like the, whatever the list is at the end, like I think in venture there's this thing called the Midas list, and I'm like, okay, the old Pratt would have just been like obsessed with like one day I have to be number one on the Midas list. that's like the only goal, whereas now I mean partially through coming through faith and all that, it's like okay, it's not really about what the external world says about you, but it's like, did I build good relations with the founders I work with, did I help you know invest in great companies that change the world? That kind of thing that like and you know obviously it deliver great returns and stuff like that, but it's not this like mono um or tunnel vision view of like the only thing that matters is getting to number one on the Midas list, like yeah, I think that's kind of a change that happened through coming to faith, but the old Pratt was just like obsessed with that kind of stuff, like getting like. Probably, if you asked me four years ago, what the biggest disappointment in my life is that I only ever got to number two on Global Poker Index versus number one. <laughs> and it's like I probably stuck around in poker for like another like year that probably after I'd already fallen out of love with the game, just because I was like, maybe I still should. Ha- yeah, I should get to number one before I retire. Do you and remember was who was like?
0: Do you remember who was number one when you were number two?
1: I think Bryn was, I think Bryn, and he's actually number one on the money list now. He wasn't at that point, but I think he was ranked number one when I was number two, but I I don't remember exactly.
0: Um, Okay, so I want to get to like, and I'm going to link to your piece in the show notes because I do think like it's just, it's so good and vulnerable and honest and um, man, all that stuff. But maybe just give us like a brief, quick journey from, okay, you are winning millions of dollars, playing professional poker. You're getting involved in crypto. Like just give us a quick like TLDR of there to just like the moment, I guess, before you sort of had this encounter with with Christ.
1: Yeah, sure. I mean, so like I said, I'd sort of fallen out of started to fall out of love with poker in like 2016 or late late 2016, early 2017, but I was still playing pretty high stakes and still like obsessed with it competitively. But I don't think I was like i just started to have more interests outside of poker whereas like mm-hmm. in 2013 like i literally didn't think about anything besides poker like any second of the day um and so i retired in middle of 2017 from poker that it wasn't like retired like retired i like i knew i was going to do something else it just like i knew poker was done um and at first i honestly wasn't planning on getting into crypto or anything like that even though a lot of my friends had already started to transition into crypto from poker. Um, I actually was just like reading a lot of books and watching YouTube videos and actually Jordan Peterson videos, which was mm-hmm. ended up being relevant to becoming mm-hmm. a Christian a couple of years later. Mm-hmm. But I was just like in kind of like exploratory intellectual mode. Um, mm-hmm. And then I don't know, towards the end of the year, Bitcoin, that was the first time Bitcoin went up to 20 K. It was like a crazy year. You remember it with the ICOs mm-hmm. and everything like mm-hmm. that. And a lot of my friends were making a ton of money. Um, in these ICOs, just because like, I mean, it was just like a speculative mania, like even just as crazy as what we saw last year, if not crazier. Yeah. And okay. so even though I wasn't into crypto at the time, it was just like, all my friends were getting rich. And I was like, well, I should do this too. And so the next, I basically probably started investing around basically the worst time you could. I mean, some of them, it worked out, seemed like it was going well in the beginning and probably January, 2018 or February, 2018 was probably the richest, like, I'd ever been even more from po- than I'd made from poker. Um, but obviously it was all just paper money and these ICOs that were like all fake and you know they all crashed <laughs> like ninety eight percent or whatever before we even got the tokens. And yeah, you know, like it was all paper money on right. weird Chinese exchanges that like no one could actually <laughs> trade on. But uh, yeah, so like yeah, the course of twenty eighteen was mostly like oh I lost like a lot of money because of like what I'd invested, trying to learn trading, trying to like do other things to try to like figure it out and you know, I, I have like a bookshelf next to me that has like, I don't know, like 50 trading books or investing books. And I like read all of them and was trying to figure out trading. Towards the end of the year, uh, you know, realized I wanted to get like a mentor for trading, hopefully. Uh, actually connected with uh, 3R's Capital, which has, you know, been in the news lately. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, they were still an FX fund at the time, starting to look at a, into crypto, they brought me out to Singapore and they were like, hey, why don't you build this crypto game? We have we have an idea for an Ethereum, you know, like you can build an on chain game. That's like an interesting use case of crypto, which obviously a lot of people now, two three years later, like totally get, but at the time was probably a little bit um, less common of an opinion. And so started building that in 2019, but like, I mean, crypto is still going up and down. And. You know, continued to you know my net worth was continued to dwindle, dwindle, <laughs> and that's basically what brought me at new, and eventually to uh, you know, I guess the the whole church thing, which I guess you is where he wanted me to leave off. But yeah, <laughs> it, that's what brought me out to Singapore. So.
0: Okay, um, so you're in Singapore, and it, here's what I found really fascinating about, and I reread it, yep. um, earlier today. So you obviously are a really, really smart guy. Um, obviously as a poker player, so. an investor, right. That's what, yeah. And yeah, you do talk about in, in earlier at sort of the beginning of the piece about coming across like Jordan Peterson's, um, yeah, uh, what was that? That bit was like an old Testament, um, biblical series yeah he he had this bible series
1: where he went into like cain and abel and honestly like in retrospect i feel like a lot of it was like probably not even accurate or like like, wrong or whatever but (laughs) it was at least like you know i mean it's like it was like a very psychological interpretation of the bible using Jungian stuff which is Mm -hmm. like interesting but like some of the stuff like I remember there was like this idea about like how like the reason we developed eyesight was because of like us being able to see apples or something is like, that's why we have the Adam and Eve story or something. I was yeah. like, uh, now I'm like, wait, that, that probably is like not yeah. accurate at all. But I remember at the time being like, Whoa, this is so interesting. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Right. Yeah, anyway. But, um, yeah,
0: so. Well, so, okay. So what I find super fascinating about your story is you are, you're incredibly smart and bright you kind of start the piece off by talking about how you thought Christians were stupid, right? They're just like anti-intellectual, yeah. and then you start to tell the story of meeting Jesus, and you yeah. reference music and worship. Yeah. Um. You you reference Good Grace, you know, the Hillsong United song, yeah. and Good Good Father later on, and Build My Life, yeah. and so I thought like it's just like to me this interesting, um, like for such a smart guy to have a first encounter with what you would later find out is the Holy Spirit in this kind of like yeah. emotional, spiritual yeah. way. So like, talk about that moment. Cause that was the same way that I met Christ. I was 15. Yeah. And if you were, if you were to ask me like, what was that like? There was no intellectual, there was no, at, at, at yeah. that point, there was no intellectual connection. It was purely like, wow, there is something yeah. so much bigger than me that is like beckoning me right in this yeah. moment. So, and,
1: yeah, I mean, and I, I mean, I don't want to be prescriptive, but in my opinion, it sort of feels like that's the only way it really happens, like where you have that deep conviction and where you believe in Jesus, where it's not just like uh, a thing that is a good social technology or like, oh, I would love for my family to have a church and a great community. But it's like, no, Jesus is real and he's a part of my life. Um, Like I've noticed like over the last few years, starting with Peterson, Gerard, popularity mm-hmm. in Silicon Valley, et cetera, there's like a mm-hmm. lot of people who are interested in Christianity once again from an intellectual perspective. You know, mm-hmm. I think David Perel has written some great articles mm-hmm. about it. You know, people have like, they're very interested in intellectually, but like that appreciation doesn't translate to faith necessarily. You know, like I've I I've probably met like, five, like at least 10, 15 people, if not more, who are like, I want to believe in christianity because like intellectually it makes a lot of sense or i think it'd be great for my family if we had a church Mm -hmm. and whatnot but like they don't believe actually um Mm -hmm. or you know even if you know so it's like very it's very hard for them to believe so i think it's only through an encounter that you can really you know meet him and it changes your life and like in a moment you're actually convicted and it changes so like it's very hard for us people who like are obsessed with intellectualness sometimes to like exp- like because you can't really share that or like say like hey mm-hmm. here's like this book you can read and then you'll you'll be yeah. convinced and it's mm-hmm. just like it's all about the experience in the end of the day
0: and so you kind of like have this encounter with god and then um you leave like what was life like after that like were you did you were you like aware of what was happening? Um, were you, did oh, you like, like
1: then the literally, you mean the, like literally the night of, right?
0: Yeah. Or just like, yeah. Like even like just the few weeks following. Right. So like you have this encounter, I'm sure Yeah. you're trying to intellectualize it, but ultimately it was like this experience. So what was like, if that was, that was the moment where you experienced God, what was like the next couple of months, like sorting through this experience that you had?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think it was really like a lot of just trying to go deeper in my faith and try to understand like what it meant to be a Christian like it's not like immediately obvious like right afterwards like what you're supposed Mm -hmm. to do or like what's changed I mean you know some things are different and also intellectually knowing that Jesus is real is like quite a bit different than like knowing that he loves you or you know how your life is going to change afterwards like I think like I think I talked about in the piece that there was a A month later or so was where I first really had the realization that, you know, Christ actually loved me while watching this, you know, sermon and video. And that was like extremely overwhelming. And it was quite a bit different than just like, oh, Jesus is real. It's like, okay, God is not only is he real, but he loves me, you know? Mm
0: -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So what has the process been like now? So you have this encounter. um, Your life is completely changed. Yeah. You... um, I don't know, like, just what like what was what was the the following couple of years like as you're discovering this? Like, what practical changes did that mean for your life and the way that you approached work and you know, kind of well, like that? Well, yeah, I, I think
1: the yeah, I mean the the most practical one on the work side is like, I mean, I used to just be like obsessed with making money and making like myself like the highest status person I could be. Like we were talking about mm-hmm. earlier with the Midas list and everything like that. Like that's mm-hmm. what the old Pat who's like okay, venture seems like an interesting game to play. I want to be a venture investor. Like this is how how I would have approached it It would have been completely different. Um, And sometimes that might not come across in terms of like, you know, if you're just talking to a founder on a pitch call, like there's, there's probably no difference in terms of like the questions I would ask or something like that. But I think my perspective is quite a bit different. And a lot of times I'm just sort of like trying to understand the person a little bit more than just like the investment. I think, you know, I I do think the Holy spirit gives you a different lens into like understanding people and having like higher conviction in these certain areas. So um, I think it's affected my life in terms of like how I view my work and I don't see it so much as just like, how do I accumulate the most money? But it's like, how do I make the most impact with something that I really enjoy doing, but is mm-hmm. also and, like plays into the gifts and talents that I have.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Do you see that? So like, I mean, obviously your work is this, it's this mix of gifting and talent and passion and interest and all that kind of stuff. How do you yeah. see your, your faith? if you do at all play like a really practical role in the way that you approach your job and the way that you approach. Um, I think a lot yeah. of people that are listening, like they go to church, they're Christians, they price serve at church. Yep. They're a part of it. And then they sort of spend their Monday to Friday or Monday to Saturday, completely immersed in a completely different um, Yeah, totally. You know, I mean, world or culture. I, I, What's that? I, mean, I think
1: that's like, a, that's a temptation for probably all of us, right? It's like, mm-hmm. okay, there's church life and there's like work life. Um, yeah. I think uh, it definitely helps. Like, definitely our pastor here in San Francisco, he, he talks a lot about, you know, sacred vocation and like, mm-hmm. you know, your what you do is like a big part of, um, you know, you connecting that with your faith is important. I think for me, just very practically. So when I wake up in the morning, I'll, you know, read the Bible. I mean, mm-hmm. that's probably also something a lot of people do, but I mean, try to, trying to pray before meetings is I think something that's like good Mm. to do. I I probably don't do it as much as I should, but it's definitely something I try to do at least before important meetings. Um, And sort of like, you know, ask for guidance and wisdom and, you know, letting the Holy Spirit take, you know, like give me uh, guidance while I'm talking Um, and praying before making big decisions like investment decisions or, you know, voting Mm -hmm. decisions internally, Mm -hmm. things like that, I think is something that I do just like on a very practical level is like, so that it's not just like even, Oh, the five, 10 minutes I did in the morning that (laughs) where I read the Bible, it's like, okay, throughout the day, can I like, you know, continually, um, go there and ask, uh, Jesus for help.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. So how about, um, you know, you mentioned, uh, wealth and, and money and you sort of talk about sort of your old self versus now, how do you see as a Christian, um, how do you look at money now? Right? Like, so a lot of what we talk about on this show is being an entrepreneur, being a founder, being somebody who feels called to, um, build something and create something. Oftentimes, sometimes that does result in, you know, making, making money. Money's not bad or good. It's just a tool. Right. So like, what are your thoughts on that? How do you, how do you, with the past that you have and and the things that you've experienced and now working in venture, which is, you know, it's also, it's a, it's a, it's a game of trying to make, trying to make money. Right. Um, like how do you see that? Like as a Christian, how do you see, how do you see money? What, um, what do you think the connection is to you, the money you make and and building the kingdom of God, or do you see any connection at all?
1: Well, I think what's great is you can give away a lot of that money, you know, Mm -hmm. like when you make it, you can give it to, Mm -hmm. um, charitable work the church is doing you can give it directly to the church like i believe in tithing all these sorts yep. of things that are like really like important in building the kingdom of god and i think you know i think everyone sort of just has their not their role to play but there's like different things and gifts people have and you know missionary work and a lot of the great work that churches and uh christian organizations do would not be possible if there weren't christians out in the marketplace making money right so mm-hmm. I think like that, those donations can be really fuel, like a lot of great work. And so I yeah. sort of see, well, this is something I, not only am I feel as someone gifted in it, it's also something I just naturally really enjoy. And like, I think God has, you know, given me the gifts for that. So it's like, well, how, you know, may any money I make, like, how can I like, you know, basically give away as much as I can, um, mm-hmm where it's the kingdom of God so I think Mm -hmm. the relationship is less like holding it with tight hands where it's like all about like putting a number on the board or buying like really nice houses and things like Mm -hmm. that and you know I mean I'm I'm a very young venture investor so there's a long way to go but you know it's it's real it's more just like the what you're optimizing for is not the same thing and you know I think I really think that it's just there's everyone has different aspect, different parts to play, and like a mm-hmm. lot of the great Christian work really could not be done without somebody making money.
0: So yeah, how do you think your ambition has changed? Right, like so you now kind of have this new way of viewing the world, mm-hmm. um, but your personality, your proclivities haven't changed. I'm sure that your competitive nature hasn't changed, right? And yeah. those things aren't aren't bad. They're, they're yeah. they are what they are. Um, how would you say your ambition has changed? our ambition doesn't just go away when we, yeah. when we meet Christ and ambition isn't necessarily a bad thing, yeah. but how is that? Like, how has that changed? And then how do you keep that in check? Um, yeah. In your own life?
1: Well, I, yeah. I mean, I don't think it's changed like in the sense that like, okay, so my, num- my goal in life is not to be number one on the Midas list, but like, obviously I'm still like very competitive
0: mm-hmm. and
1: like what the fun I'm working out to be the best fun in the world. I want, you know, Probably I'll, like, you know, one day be thinking about these other things in terms of, like, competitiveness and just, like, making the best investment possible. I think the biggest thing is, like, my identity is no longer in those things. So it used to be, like, my identity was, like, in my... status as a poker player or how much money I'm just making or like whether I won the spelling beer you know whatnot Uh, whereas now it's like those are still goals and things I want to accomplish and it drives me in terms of my day-to-day work but it's not like my identity is not in that like the identity is more in you know my relationship with God so Mm -hmm, I think mm -hmm. that is what changes it so it's like you can still have the same goals but it's like is it what you believe is like the most important thing about you And is Mm -hmm. it the thing that, you know, at the end of the day, you feel like that's, you know, who you are, where it's, it's not who I am. It's just like
0: something I'm doing. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. I love that, man. Um, So switching gears a bit, like a lot of what we talk about on this podcast is obviously how can we take um, our faith and our worldview and who we believe God's made us to be into the marketplace, wherever we find ourselves, right? Whether that's a venture, whether that's a startup, whether that's, a, a plumber or a small business or like whatever that is. Right. It's like taking these principles. Yeah. Um, one thing that we we talk a lot about is how do people or, or how can people who are in, um, the marketplace, w- like what does their relationship look like with their local church? So we've, you and I've been talking for a half hour and you've mentioned your church and your pastor a couple of times, yeah. and you mentioned tithing. Um, so in a world, like in a society where there's a lot of talk about like loving, christ but not loving the church or hey i'm a part Mm -hmm. of church online you know like all this stuff like what role would you say the local church plays in your faith um and then like Uh, what is at a basic level what does your relationship with your local church look like you're a busy guy you you have a lot going on in your life is that a priority talk to me about what that looks like
1: oh i think it's like so important um Mm -hmm. i think there's and it almost goes back to like not just like the intellectual side about you know, just reading books about God mm-hmm. and whatnot. I think it's real, or the Bible even, I think, and which is obviously super, super important. It's, I think, I think you need to be in community with other people and it like helps build your faith. And it also is like a way to give back. Um, I mean, for me, uh, going to church on Sunday is like one of my favorite things. So it mm-hmm. was really nice that when was finally opened back up in San Francisco, which wasn't until like June, 2021, I, which is right? wild I to know. think about. Um, yeah. But Yeah, so my relationship with my church here is that I got introduced by another friend who's actually a VC as well, Um, started going there in person in June, and they were just like really, really, really nice and, um, you know, welcoming for um, somebody who's like fairly new, like with my wife and I got married a month later, and we needed uh, an an officiant and we needed Mm -hmm. someone to do worship at our wedding, and they just kind of like stepped up and did it like even though it was like very last minute. Cool. Um, and yeah, I've gotten to know the pastor pretty well over the past year. And just like, you know, a great person who's like really dedicated himself to the city of San Francisco and like raising his family here and just really being a part of the community. And I think that community and trying to build a place where even in a city where there's not a lot of Christians, that there's still people who like feel like there's, um, other Christians out there with them who are doing life and, you know, trying to make things work and going through all the ups and downs. And, you know, nowadays I serve with the Epic student, um, which of students, which are like middle school and high school kids, like every other Sunday, I think it's like, that's like a great way. And it really, like, honestly, like I'm serving them, but like they're like serving me in the sense that like, mm-hmm. I feel so much better every Sunday after I serve with them. It's like always great to hear sort of their stories and just like communicate with them. And yeah, it's like, amazing yeah, I love it. I think the church is really important. And I think getting plugged in beyond just, you know, it can, you can be very much inside your books, but it's good to like have a community and have people around you and do life together.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's so amazing, man. And that's amazing to hear. I think, you know, being a local church pastor, right? Like there's just, especially now post COVID, you know, like people's relationship with church changed a lot. Um, for sure. And so to be back, I know that even just having people that are bought in and just there to serve is like such an amazing feeling for a pastor, especially in a city like San Francisco or LA, yeah. right? Where there's just a, a lot of people doing a lot of stuff. Um, So you mentioned being a Christian in a city like San Francisco, where there's not a lot of Christians. Yeah. Um, And a lot of what we've been talking about too lately is just that, yeah, like all of a sudden it feels like more and more, and I don't want to, I'm not trying to get onto any hot button issues. Like that's not the direction I want to go. However, I think it's pretty obvious that some of our biblical worldview and our Christian beliefs maybe sometimes don't go along necessarily with some of the cultural narrative. And that's a tension for all of us, right? How how do you navigate that? Like being in a city that isn't predominantly Christian and uh, maybe working in a, in a industry that's not predominantly Christian. Like how do you navigate, um, being a Christian in that space?
1: Yeah. Um... I mean, it's interesting. I, I guess I'm still trying to figure out. I don't. I don't really have a good answer for you because, um, you know, when I first joined a tech company, I didn't publicly share that I was a Christian or didn't personally share it with anyone. It was just sort of like something I kept privately. Then, but obviously, after I wrote the article last year, like a lot of people. I was going to say then you Christian. decided
0: to mess it yeah. all up and write the yeah, write yeah. the Substack, um, right?
1: I mean, honestly, it's so far like it's most people are just have been pretty cool about it and you know it's been I don't think it's like it's not something that I think should necessarily like you know you're not trying to go up and talk to everyone about it you know yeah in, in the workplace um but it's just a part of who I am so I think it's like there on my public profile on whatnot. but I think like it's honestly I I just I guess I'm still trying to figure out and navigate it but so far it's been pretty okay it's not something that really tends to come up.
0: Yeah. Well, that was gonna be kind of my last question. Well, my second to last question before we close. What kind of made you write that? I mean, that's a pretty that's a gutsy thing to do, man. And honestly, a lot of respect for for you for that because it was a really vulnerable thing to share. And what prompted that?
1: Yeah, um, I don't know if it was anything in particular, but I think it was sort of like I realized that to build authentic relationships with founders, as well as maybe the other people I was working with in my industry, that it's like important to just like lay out the real story of who I am. Cause like in a way it sort of felt like you could write this whole other story of who Pratouche was, whereas, you know, he's this poker player and then he got some crypto and now he's doing venture investing and probably the relationship you build with founders or with just anyone is not going to be real because like the most important thing about my life is like not being shared. Right. Mm. Um, And man, that's awesome. There's, there's probably times where people will be like, Oh, like, why are you, uh, you know, why are you just starting out in VC? Like you, you, you've made millions of dollars in poker. Like shouldn't you just like start your own fund or, you know, like, I mean, not that that's like an important consideration, Mm -hmm. but things like that in terms of like, no one really knew the whole story of like everything that's pieced together. Cause like, if you just Google me or look on my Wikipedia, like it like it might not just make any sense. And it's sort of like, mm-hmm. there's so many questions. It was like, all right, like I just need to like lay out the full story of like, this is who I am. And this is like my whole story up to that point. So it felt like way easier to like, actually be able to build real relationships with people. And I think that's sort of been borne out with ever since the piece where I think the, way i'm able to you know talk to people like we're immediately on just like a a real level because like i've shared like all the most vulnerable intimate things about me (laughs) so like most people feel comfortable knowing that i'm not just like another uh person who's just trying to like make money off of them or something
0: yeah man that's a really interesting way to put it right in a sense of like man in, in unless people know the most important thing about me like who was it that said i forget who it was um And I can't believe it's escaping me now. But, you know, the most important thing about us is what we think about when we think about God. Um, Yeah. And so to think think
1: that sermon, the sermon I listened to on Sunday at our church literally had that. Really? I literally just heard someone
0: quote this today and I'm already forgetting who who said it. But um, that's such an interesting perspective of really like, man, people don't if people don't know this about me, they don't really know me. Um, at least in my vote, yep. most vulnerable way, that's such a cool way to think about it. And you've kind of continued, like even on your Twitter account, you're like posting Proverbs and you, yep. you there's like you and a few guys who are just like kind of semi-regularly th- like you and, yeah. um, um, Brent, um, oh gosh, what's his, uh, sure yeah. yeah, yeah, Brent yeah, yeah, is yeah, yeah, really yeah.
1: important. <laughs> so he, like, Brent was supposed IHC... to be, we
0: were supposed to interview him for the podcast this morning, but he emailed and said he was, he was sick. So, um, Okay. I think we're going to try again next week, but yeah, yeah, I love, I love him also. Yeah. you guys are, you know, you guys are, are pretty forward with, with what you believe, yeah. which I think is so well, awesome. I mean, He's-
1: Brent's forwardness is like, was important in my own Christian journey um, in the sense that he, I used to follow him just cause he was an investor. And, you know, I was remember I was reading all those investing books and <laughs> listening to podcasts mm-hmm. and stuff like that. And so I followed Brent for other reasons. And then, you know, he always has his like Easter and Christmas threads where he talks about um Jesus and whatnot and I remember Mm -hmm. after I started going to church with uh Gwen like I wanted to read more books about Christianity so I like went through one of his old threads and was like looking in the replies and you know people gave books that were important in me sort of you know it was like the encounter was still the encounter that changed everything but I there was other books I needed to read that uh sort of laid the foundation and I think Brent was part of it so in a way i sort of think about that now too is like you know just by being forward about who i am that you know there might be another person out there like that who even if they didn't resonate with the piece right away three or four years from now they think back to them they're like oh yeah i read that piece from pratt let me like reread it or go further and you know maybe they meet jesus that way
0: mm-hmm. man that's so awesome um yeah i feel like i have so many more questions but before we close why don't we do this let's do like let's get just like practical so you are at San Francisco uh, you mm-hmm. work in venture a lot of people that listen are founders maybe they're wanting to turn their side hustle into yep. you know what they do full-time um, maybe just give me like some quick give someone listening just some quick practical advice being fully aware of like the current economic environment we're in like what are your mm-hmm. thoughts on where we're at now um, how do founders need to be thinking um, about you know maybe the next year 18 months I'm not necessarily looking for like you know your your hot take, but like, what are you, I don't know. What are you seeing? Like if you were to talk to a young founder now and say, Hey, this is the way you need to be thinking about what you're building. What would you, uh, Yeah, what would you, I mean, what'd you say?
1: I would say it definitely markets have sl- like a lot of people are just uncertain. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I think that's probably the biggest thing that's like, I think volatility and uncertainty is like the best policeman of risk. So now that people are, uh, just uncertain, and there's been a lot of volatility. People just don't know what to do, and that's like freezing people even more than anything else, right? Like mm-hmm. even whether you're a seed stage investor or a series B investor, and I think the later stage investors the like market is like um, not fully corrected, but it's like slowed down a ton where like it's really hard to get deals done there. I think at the earlier stages where I'm at is definitely more of just the uncertainty is like so if people are kind of like looking for reasons to say no. Um, so like anything that's like, people are kind of like, you know, really d- diving deeper in almost every single question versus mm. I think a year ago, everyone was just sort of looking for reasons to say yes and deploy capital. <laughs> so I think if you're a founder, you have to be realize that like, there's gonna be a lot of nitpicking right now. So I think the more you can sort of think about your business very systematically and think about what is the, what are the white hot risks or what are the key risks of my business and try to like systematically de-risk them layer by layer is probably like the best thing you can do because investors are just like very gun shy right now. Um so I think the best thing you can do is, you know, be lower your burn, extend your runway, uh, figure out how to build as much traction as possible. And, you know, just like understand that a lot of people are just going to be hesitant. So you need to be able to tell a story that sells your big vision, but also have the numbers to back it up. And I mean, a lot of that is easier said than done. It's just the reality of the economic climate. But like, you know, there's still like, you know, opportunity out there. And personally, I think this is like a great time to invest. So like, I'm excited, but it just, it's just the reality is that people are just not going to be just throwing around money as much as easily as they were before. So I think keeping your story tight, I actually wrote a couple articles about storytelling. If anyone wants to read my sub stack, um, mm-hmm. you know, keeping your story tight and being like, like, even, even though you're a founder, like maybe put your investor hat on and say, what are the major risks to my business? Okay. X, Y, Z. Is there any way I can like de-risk or show signs of de-risking Parts of this so that, like, I'm like, it makes it more clear to investors that I have like a big vision for the business and these risks can be like, you know, de risked over time. So,
0: mm. man, that's really good. So, where can people find you online? Twitter, Substack, give us that info. And
1: yeah, Twitter is just, yeah, Partouche Badiga, so my name, and then Substack think is just com. but you can pro- you can find this Substack on on my twitter so just go to my twitter
0: cool yeah we'll link to all that and you in can the show
1: also e- yeah yeah you can also email me pratush at susaventures.com
0: awesome pratush man thank you for for uh doing this thanks for your time and um if you're listening to this go I will link his his uh sub is amazing so make sure you subscribe to that man thank you so much for your time thanks thanks for having me on